Today, we will be talking about Shang-Chi and the legend of the Ten Rings. That's true. But before we go there, what are you even doing with your life if you're not jet skiing? Jet skiing is something that we all need in our lives, especially Mobius from the Loki series. Take it away, Gabe. We never did get to see Mobius on a jet ski. It's disappointing. Oh, there's a season two coming. When, though? So Michael K. Williams passed away. Yeah, that's a freaking bummer, man. That guy was legit. Between The Wire as Omar Little and Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire. He actually had a pretty extensive catalog. 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. He's actually a character in the new Battlefield game, too. Oh, damn. I stumbled upon, because of his passing and people talking about it, a cool little HBO series. Again, Michael K. Williams did one. It was like a meta commentary on being typecast, and he was conversing. What? He was like sitting in a room drinking a smoothie, and he just started having a conversation with three or four of his personas from his acting career. Whoa. In the room. That sounds really interesting. About like being typecast as this like rough gangster guy. Whoa. I want to watch that. They did another one with Jeffrey Wright like in an airplane about something. It's a really cool series I'd never heard of. I, I think it's a series, not just a, yeah. a two-off. Speaking of, because I, I was looking at his IMDb earlier as well, he was also in the R. Kelly closet. Was <laughs> 12 he? 12 episodes. Really? Like, dang, he was in that. That's so funny. And then I look into the closet, and then I hid in the closet, and then I go into the closet. That was a classic. And then I come outside the closet. <laughs> Didn't age as well. <laughs> the Weird Al version of it did. But I was like, dang, that's how far back his career goes. I mean, also being in The Wire. But he's clearly was a very prolific actor, and it's uh, really sad to see the way that he went, unfortunately. Yeah. He's still a young guy, too. He's only 54. 54, yeah. Very young. Very young these days. He was even in Lovecraft Country. He's young enough to even potentially be a fan of the cult podcast. You're never too old to be a fan <laughs> of the cult podcast. Our podcast. It'd be funny if our demographic skewed like 60 and up. <laughs> you know what? That would actually make me really happy if that were the case. At least we'd have listeners, you know, regardless of age. I get along really well with old people. I do too, Older historically. Folk. In fact, I used to get a lot of flack... My friends would give me a hard time at the restaurants because I would always... Sure. That was my They're crowd. the most relatable. I think I just try to talk to them as an adult rather than a child. I didn't know this about you, but it's basically the same story with me, yeah. which is funny. Yeah. Or kids. Like, it's either adults or older people or, like, kids. Yeah. I can't do anything with people my own age. I agree. It's really hard. That's what she said. See, I'm also a 12-year-old. Like, I'm... <laughs> The great part about this podcast is that we have such an exquisite sense of humor. I don't even know what I mean. So so this podcast, for those who don't know, is about Shang-Chi. <laughs> <laughs> and the legend of the Ten Rings. <laughs> That's today's cast. We're off to a great start. This is the most recent Marvel, Disney, Marvel venture into the ever-expanding, growing Marvel Cinematic Universe episodic movie universe that they're creating. And this is a brand new character that has never been portrayed before in the live-action cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. So this was, for all intents and purposes, a origin story film. And Gabe and I saw it. Gabe and I saw it on Thursday, Thursday night in IMAX. In the theatrical cinemas. And Marvel can still put butts in chairs. <laughs> That's true. How were the butts the next day? What do you mean? Was it a oh, full theater? Yeah. Yeah. So the first... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> right after we saw it, 
I was like, so what did you think? Because I was really jazzed on this movie. You contain your jazz well. <laughs> I immediately loved this movie a lot. I was going over it in my mind going, wow, does it really rank this high for me in my Marvel ranking system? I still am asking myself the question, like, how can it be that this origin story phase four Marvel movie is ranking so high for me in the Marvel films? And we'll talk about why that is and why I loved it so much. But I really, really loved this movie. But when Gabe first saw it on Thursday, I didn't. His opinion. I didn't hate it. Was so far. It was not that far from from my opinion. It's, you're you're over exaggerating. All I said you was I, I didn't love it. The, mm, Those were my exact not, words. No, your exact words. Yes, your exact words were. It was the worst. Whelming. <laughs> no, you said you were whelmed. Oh yeah, I those did, were your. I'd words. said that after I said. So I was whelmed. I was whelmed. Meaning that you weren't overwhelmed and you weren't underwhelmed, but it was so blasé. You might have just been eating a neutral, <laughs> unsalted saltine, just a teen. That's how bland it was to you. That's a pretty underwhelming experience to eat that kind of a cracker. It's not even a saltine. It's just a teen. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but you picked apart the movie and for the listeners listening, I'm embellishing only slightly, (laughs) only slightly for dramatic effect. For the comedy. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't give him my opinion at first. I wanted him to speak first. So I listened for about five minutes to him talk about what didn't work for him in this movie. And he basically said all the things that I liked about it. He didn't like about it. Not entirely. Mostly. Mostly. Most of my problems. But he did have a few good things to say as well. I think I just had a bad taste in my mouth. But then. From Black Widow. (laughs) (laughs) I did know that you were going to be seeing it. A second time. A second time. I didn't know when. But you said your opinion might change. And then I told you all the reasons that I liked it. Yeah, I thought it might change. So I don't know what you think about it now since you watched it again on Saturday. I've just warmed up to all the things. I mean, or just don't care about the things that bothered me the first time. Which really, it was only a couple things. Like some of the story points I was rolling my eyes at. A couple scenes with dialogue. Totally. But that's like, it's standard for, you know, there to be kind of some cheesy moments. But also like the whole first act, I wasn't sure like what was going on. <laughs> like the introduction, it seemed very fast paced. I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I don't know what I expected. And I think that was it. I had no connection with Shang-Chi as a character. Shang-Chi yeah. as a character. Shang-Chi. And I had no grasp for what Marvel was going to try to do here. If it was going to be like a Black Panther retread or what. Normally, Steven talks about how he likes spoilers sometimes to prepare him for uh, for a, an intellectual property that he's invested in. I am nodding profusely. And I've right never now. felt that way until this movie where I feel like it would have behooved me to know what was going on beforehand. And so that's why I think... Sometimes it's good to be behooved. Once the film ended, and I liked a lot of it on the first run anyway, but once it ended and I had a good grasp for what the film was doing, going into it a second time and really being prepared for that. Behooved. It, I, yeah, behooved. <laughs> I really liked it. Other things that I didn't care for the first time around that I liked the second time a lot You was mentioned, the, the pop soundtrack or yeah, the hip hop. I was going to say, you mentioned the music and that yeah. that one hurt me a little bit. I loved the score. Like those strings that you hear a lot. Uh, it's a specific instrument, bruh. I'm just going to say the score. I really liked the score. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason... I thought it got overshadowed by the hip-hoppy soundtrack the first time through, but really 
paying more attention to those themes and motifs the second time around, like you mentioned when we walked out the first time. Yes. The Shang-Chi theme. Yes. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. His theme, how it comes back around towards the end. I was paying more attention to that. And uh, that it was yeah. great. Um, yeah. But I also just, did, I didn't hate the hip hop as much either. Okay. Just to stick on this really quick. You also said similarly, but to kind of also put words in your mouth, I guess, from remembering that. Stuff them in there. Yeah. You said, <laughs> you said, you said that you didn't like the first act of the yeah. movie because you felt you didn't know where it was going and it didn't have an identity, but then you liked the second and third act. But you also said that you didn't really like the dialogue and the writing all that much. Which is fine. And to me, that's fine because I don't really expect a lot out of the dialogue in a Marvel film anyway. So that's totally understandable. I would say as a whole, there are always moments in Marvel films. Maybe that's what you meant by cheesiness. Yeah. there It's like cheese. It says both in like the dialogue was mostly fine. And there are just a couple points where I wish they had shot a little higher. And then a couple parts with the script that I would have done differently. But that, I'm nitpicking at that point. So, But yeah, the first act... Didn't bother me again the second time through, knowing where it was going. Really? I was able to settle into my chair and kind of see, and, and just enjoy the set pieces for what they were. Because we get like that huge bus fight, like right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. After a short intro. And then- So cool. I don't know. We see like Shang-Chi's just like- A kung fu master. He's just- He's valet. He's a valet. But none of those things bothered me in the second watch, and I really enjoyed it. So I'd probably- rank it pretty highly now to be honest yeah there's only a few movies in marvel for me even though i love everything that they do like i love almost re-watching all the marvel movies every like two to three years just for fun and also i forget things about them and then i like to rewatch them but there's a few that i really really like that i love rewatching. doctor strange is one and i don't know why because i didn't really like it when i first saw it but Doctor Strange just has like this energy to it and some imagery that I really enjoy and the fast paced nature of the film. It's like one of the shorter Marvel films actually too, which is interesting. Has this rewatchability that I really enjoy. But watching this movie, I was like, man, this is a spectacle. This is everything I would have wanted from a Marvel film basically to be taken to these places and see something that I haven't seen before. These unknown spectacle places, you know, with magical qualities to them. And albeit Shang-Chi is, you know, not even really magical himself. He just is a Kung Fu dude. He just knows martial arts really well. And I loved the whole journey of the film because it starts off with him being just a normal kind of American in San Francisco, which we come to find is his guise to essentially break away from his overbearing father. You know, you end up going on this whole journey and then he finds his way to some place. I don't even remember. I think a fictional place where he meets his sister and then going back to the Ten Rings base and location. And then you throw Ben Kingsley into the mix and then he's this whole element of humor that I just didn't expect especially to be that i thought ben kingsley was going to be a cameo in this movie yeah so i didn't know (laughs) i didn't know that he was going to be such a prominent role so that was amazing and surprising experience and then they get to talo and it's like this beautiful cinematic wanderlust environment that is just so cool i mean it reminded me a lot of like the green hill zone from sonic the hedgehog (laughs) and then you get in there and you have pokemon running around and kind of homages to some ancestral Chinese like spirit animals that you know we've seen kind of done in a new fashion and come to life through really good C 
CGI. And then, and then you have this whole like epic third act that I expected, you know, a huge Marvel third act spectacle, but I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. And so then you had all that and I was just enthralled throughout the whole thing. I thought it was lovely. And then you have the music, which honestly, the hip hop stuff didn't really, I didn't really pay attention to it. I heard a couple drum beats here and there. They threw in some soundtrack to try to like move from one scene to another to try to make him look cool for a second. But the score from Joel P. West had one of the most, in my opinion, recognizable themes to a new Marvel character that I have maybe ever heard. It was like even more recognizable than the Avengers theme when I heard Alan Silvestri's score for the first time in the first Avengers film. Thinking about how Shang-Chi might be included in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that when, you know, there's a moment maybe in an Avengers film or an ensemble film going forward and you hear this theme play, you'll immediately know that it's from Shang-Chi or it's supposed to represent him. And that's so cool that they really nailed a symphonic kind of theme for him so quickly. Using Chinese instruments and that sort of Western Asian fusion sound that we've heard a zillion times, but it's just done kind of quite in the right way right here. And uh, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It's pretty standout for a Marvel film just because it's such a new style. There's nothing even comparable in the cinematic universe thus far. So it has that going for it, even before it being good on its own. Sure. (laughs) You know, and then the other thing I liked is... You know, I grew up loving Ninja Turtles, and then I grew up uh, loving Three Ninjas and Karate Kid and Power Rangers. Power Rangers, all these other things that were based off of martial arts. And I got really into martial arts for those pieces of pop culture that kind of stuck in my mind. And so this movie kind of felt like a new, fresh kind of take on uh, martial arts. In this case, it's Kung Fu that could potentially inspire new generations to take interest in the martial arts. And that's a really cool thing. I just love that aspect of it. It even has like got me thinking like, man, I'd love to take some martial arts classes again. That'd be dope. Yeah. Even outside of the martial arts, we haven't even really talked about the representation of yeah diversity in the casting. That is a whole other element. An entirely Chinese or Chinese-American cast. Mm-hmm. Really well casted. That was one of the things that first, yes. in the first watch, immediately drew me in was how great the performances were, yep. particularly from Tony Leung. This movie is really almost as much his as it is Shang-Chi's. Yeah. He's the father. He is the legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically the movie is Shang-Chi and his dad yeah. and their relationship. <laughs> True. But he's such a joy to watch and is a huge star in huge. Asian cinema. Yeah. Just everybody knows this guy. Yeah. So I really want to start watching a lot of those Chinese and Hong Kong movies now because mm-hmm. I just want to see more of this guy. Yeah. He's a great actor. Yeah. Man, yeah, I could talk about this movie for a long time. And I'm just so happy for Marvel on so many levels. Also because there was a lot of talk about Eternals and Spider-Man potentially getting delayed if Shang-Chi didn't do successfully. Mm -hmm. But it has outperformed in the box office really well. So that's a super plus for Marvel fans. Shang-Chi is saving cinema. Yeah, in a way. It did what Tenet could not do. (laughs) And Black Widow. But they also didn't simultaneously release this on Disney+, Plus, which was a whole other aspect. Oh, they didn't? No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Bob Chapek, the new CEO, 
of Disney said, we're doing an experiment with this Marvel film. We're not going to release it simultaneously on Disney plus we're going to do it 45 days later after the release, but we're going to keep it in theaters to see how it does in the theaters. And that really upset obviously a lot of the creators behind the movie. Simu Liu, the main actor, who's great in this movie, by the way, he came out with a statement that we are not an experiment. He wrote this whole, like, uh, the speech saying we are not an experiment, we're groundbreaking, we're the first all Chinese, you know, American and Chinese cast in a Marvel film. We are, we're going to change history, we're going to make history even before the film came out. And now it's like, you know, doing really well. And uh, that's weird. I would have thought they would have. power to him. Like Scarlet, you know, before them, I would have thought that they would have preferred an exclusively theatrical release. Well, it it is. Not for 45 days. Yeah, but they seem to be upset about the position that Disney was taking. No, they're upset that Bob Chapek... The wording of it? Yeah, basically called them an experiment. So I was going to say, somewhere Scarlett Johansson is seething, thinking of all the money she could have made. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, that is interesting. And it is blowing up. Yeah. And word of mouth, I think it's, at this point in time, the highest rated, if not one of the most highest rated entries in the MCU. Yeah, it's like 100%. Critic review. Yeah, it's like 96% <laughs> or something like that. But for Labor Day weekend openings domestically, it's also, I think, broken records. COVID records or just records? I'm not sure. Definitely COVID Let's just records. say the records. Certainly records. In you know, the last two months have been quiet. Shang-Chi's here to blow it up. Should we shout out the director? <laughs> yeah, Destin Daniel Cretton. It's a heckin' name. He has done a lot of stuff. It was interesting, actually. I didn't even think about it until recently, but there's a scene in this movie involving Captain Marvel, who's played by Brie Larson, who Destin worked with on like his debut feature film called Short Term 12, where he worked with her before. And so this was sort of another kind of team-up, which is probably fun for him to be like, hey, I'm working with Brie again. But now, like in this, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe, he also directed. He did that Michael B. Jordan Just Mercy picture a couple oh, years back. Yeah, which I think is the one where he, yeah, he's a civil rights defense attorney, and he goes to help. I think Jamie Fox was in prison, not as Jamie Fox, but as another character, <laughs> and they try to get him out. Bree Daniels was also, sorry, Bree Larson. <laughs> Bree Daniels is a porn star. Jeff Daniels' daughter, Bree Daniels. Yeah, Bree Larson was in there. They've worked together, and I think with the post-credits scene and. Shang-Chi, they're keeping that relationship going forward. Yeah, I I wondered why she was in there. But anyway, then he also wrote The Shack, or helped co-wrote The Shack, Yeah, which is crazy. The the movie, not the book, the movie was really interesting to me as far as exploring spiritual themes and what a lot of spirituality could mean for us here on Earth. It helped me understand a couple things that I never really understood about theology. It was just like a really impactful movie. So the fact that he had a hand in that is really fascinating to me. Yeah, Destin's mom raised... He, they were Christian mm. growing up. Oh, really? Yeah, he was born and raised in Hawaii, but is, he has a pretty mixed heritage. <laughs> yeah. His mom, I think, was Japanese, and his father was Irish. So okay. he's got a lot to draw from but yes i think he he knows a lot about religion yeah his films are they always rely heavily on the emotional beats and he carried that forward really well into shang chi i thought just the dynamic between the family members i think the film really hinges on that and that's why even in that explosive cgi fest of a climax there's still this element grounding it. Yeah, of heart. Chung Chi and his sister and his father. Yeah, of heart and soul. And it was actually a very spiritual movie, too. Shang Chi also really talked about and, and focused on a lot of themes of life and death and 
mm-hmm. like what it would actually mean to murder somebody or witness somebody being murdered or killed and wishing to resurrect, you know, people that have passed. Like a lot of those themes were really fascinating in this movie. So again, something I've never seen in a Marvel movie. So on top of all that other stuff and, you know, the sociopolitical aspects of it being an all, you know, Chinese cast and so forth and so forth, like those themes actually, I think, are what made it the film that it is. And it's very fascinating to watch on top of all the other things it's already doing for those reasons. Especially with family, too, because that's such a huge thing in Eastern cultures that it played really well for a Western audience, but it's something that's so critical for, for the Eastern audience. Mm-hmm. They nailed it. I think I agree. Visually it was a stunning film. Thanks to in part Bill Pope on the sticks who, uh, shot the matrix <laughs> on the sticks sometimes. Yeah, probably. They played with reflections a few times and that's yeah. always really cool. It's such a really, really cool movie. <laughs> There's that quick scene right after the fight on the outside of the building on the scaffolding where Shang-Chi tackles the masked henchmen and they're fighting in front with the broken window and there's a building on the other side. It's like a Blade Runner backdrop. Yeah. And they're just cast the silhouettes. Yeah. There's also a lot of elements of like, I mean, I talked about the Kung Fu, but like taking things from old Kung Fu or just classics or martial arts classics like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. A lot of the movement that Shang-Chi's mother, I can't remember her name, character's name but the movement that his mother does and then also his aunt as they come to find out later and the powers that they're sort of representing are very reminiscent of crouching tiger hidden dragon and how they moved through the air and around the environment in that movie it's a very naturalistic yeah style it's very interesting are right, listening to a kung fu master talk about different styles of kung fu and um there's this particular circular style that's very like flowy apart from like tai chi tai chi is one of the more flowy ones like kind of mirroring water bagua is the other one that is a very interesting style that mirrors circles and it's constantly going in a circular motion in every way in your stepping and then also in like what you're doing with your hands and your body and your arms and that was something that our friend alf had pointed out to me because he's studied kenpo which is a mix of karate and kung fu his father's style and shang chi's style was very rigid and straight up until when he learned his mother's style of martial art which was more circular and fluid Mm -hmm. and that's how he was able to overcome his father in the end yeah it seemed like a lot of it was redirecting yeah the enemy's momentum yep it made me want like destin and this team do an airbender film because these guys were like literally airbending in this movie yep but (laughs) I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. I think Shang-Chi's visual style, I mean, like his, the character of Shang-Chi was originally based off Bruce Lee. And yeah, I read somewhere that yeah. they were throwing around the idea of doing a movie in the 80s or the 90s, and they wanted, uh, what was his son's name, to play him? Brandon. Brandon Lee, yeah, before he passed away. But anyway, you loved this too, was the look and feeling of the rings. Yes, my favorite part of the movie. Which were taken from... Hungar. There are these iron rings in the Kung Fu style Hungar, which speaking of airbender, Hungar represents the earthbender style. It's very rigid and tough. But the Hungar iron rings in actual real life martial arts are essentially training utensils. They're essentially like weights that you put on your arms to train with. You add like one at a time as you train and train and train, you're able to bear more weight, you know, to build up your Kung Fu muscles. <laughs> 
but they're not a weapon or anything like that. But originally, the rings that are supposed to be represented in this film are supposed to be like finger rings. Mm -hmm. But they were like, well, that's not really cinematic and it's kind of weird and hokey. Also, it's too much like the Infinity Gauntlet. (laughs) That is true. But here's the thing is they're supposed to be alien of origin, Mm -hmm. which would have made sense because the Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Stones kind of are also from alien origin. But anyway, they were watching... uh, Kung Fu Hustle and the Hungar iron rings are in that pretty predominantly in a fighting scene. And they looked at those rings and were like, oh, it'd be cool if they were those kinds of rings. So that's what they ended up going with. And they did it so well. Yeah. On screen. It's such a visually making them a weapon. They literally fabricated that idea into this movie, which is pretty wild. The effects team did a beautiful job with that. Between the sound and the look of it, it's such a kinetic and iconic piece of imagery it, if depending on who's wielding it it can either be such a brutal mm-hmm. device or it can be this wonderful like flowing thing that is almost like more of a defensive mm-hmm. style so, yeah it was really cool all and so many other little things in the movie like the water map that we saw of the forest and then seeing the magical moving forest on screen was really cool and the kaiju battle at the end yeah <laughs> the water dragon Spoilers. fights cthulhu <laughs> that was cool i did not see that coming but it was uh, it was very epic, big at world's end vibes. <laughs> They're in just a giant whirlpool spinning around. At world's end was my favorite pirates movie. Interesting. <laughs> another hot take. Another hot. Running. Another one. Put it on the list. <laughs> I should make a list. But yeah, I couldn't say enough good things about it. Apart from like the few drawbacks, which we were saying that like at the end of the day, it is a blockbuster kind of spectacle. You do have to swallow a few bitter pills to move on and make this kind of believable for what you're seeing on screen. But if you can get past a couple of those hurdles in your mind, then it'll probably be one of the better Marvel movies you see. Yeah, I think I just need to remember to temper my expectations personally, because before Black Widow, we hadn't seen a Marvel film in a while. And the last thing I really remember is Endgame, which was such a bombastic event film. Far From Home had no impact on you. Besides Mysterio, I can't remember anything about that movie. Mysterio is awesome, but beyond that, I they, yeah. I think they were in Europe. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it is important to remember that, but I'm really, really excited to see <laughs> Shang-Chi moving forward, and I guess the rest of the cast will be there as well, because we saw his sister is taking over the father's legacy, and Aquafina's along for the ride. That was a surprising choice. I don't really understand why they made his sister do that, because she didn't seem to have any villainistic tendencies. I don't think it's meant to be villainistic. She's, well, her whole, like... Seems like she's trying to train a new army or something. Yeah, but I think it's to be, like, her morally ambiguous, uh, maybe call it chaotic good force because her whole character arc is that she wants to build her own empire because her father won't let her in so i thought that was an interesting way to end it and it makes sense moving forward that she'll be like this shadow organization that's moving to do good things perhaps kind of like sharon carter was doing in falcon and winter soldier where she's working in the shadows but ultimately more or less for the benefit of yeah the good guys right yeah so that's interesting but yeah and also you know the beacon that's going out after Shang-Chi used the rings. I was doing some research on that, and it seems like there's this popular comic book character who looks like a dragon, but's actually an alien called Fing Fang Foom. Mm-hmm. I have heard. And apparently he was, Fing Fang Foom was the one to get, so weird to say out loud. I've never, I don't think I've ever said it out loud. Um, <laughs> say it loud. It's actually funny to say, but he was the one that gave the Mandarin who is essentially Shang-Chi's dad in this movie, the Ten Rings in the first place. Mm. 
And so my kind of idea, if I was projecting, is that once the 10 rings went on to a new owner, that it kind of realized, wow, this is a new owner. I'm going to contact you know, the original owner who's Fin Fang Foom or some other sort of alien creature. And there's going to be some sort of interaction because that's a, that's a huge Marvel villain that they have not utilized yet. And would be a perfect villain for Shang-Chi too, I think. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought just because with Eternals coming up, that they might just make it a Celestials thing. They could, but like, is Shang-Chi then going to pop up in Eternals? Well, I mean, maybe not that, but it seems like they're gearing up this next phase or this next chunk of phases to be a Celestials based in game, maybe. So I have no idea, but I do know that there's a lot of stuff happening right now in phase four. Yeah. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, as the dude would say. Here's the amazing score by Joel P. West. Here is the amazing Shang-Chi theme. 